And as you're being seated, if you would turn for one final time to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 today. Be looking at verses 39 through 56. And for those of you that have been with us on this two and a half year journey through this Gospel of Luke, you may be wondering, Mark, I thought we did the last passage last week. We're in Luke 24. Are you starting over again? No, we're not. Uh, This was the one passage that I was unable to preach during our uh, Advent series way back in 2019. Uh, there, there, were, there are four weeks in Advent, and there were five Christmas passages. So I had decided, because I was told this is a really hard passage to preach, that this would be the one that would be skipped over and would come back here at the end. The Lord has worked it out very well that we are with uh, Mary on Mother's Day. It's amazing how expository preaching, walking through verse by verse through, through, through a text works. Uh, and it is also a wonderful chance for us to use Uh, Mary's praise to God as a chance to revisit a lot of the themes that we saw here in this gospel. So this is a wonderful chance for us to take a look at this really encouraging passage today uh, in Luke chapter 1. So again, this will be the last uh, uh, look at the book of Luke today. We'll be starting a series on the Ten Commandments after this. I do look forward uh, to walking through those with you after we finish here today. So, without any further ado, let's jump into Luke and take a look at our passage for today, starting in verse 39 of Luke chapter 1. In those days, it's the days in which Mary has been told she's going to have Jesus, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Let me pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our passage today. Lord, we do thank you 
for the wonderful things that we have seen out of your law in our journey through this book. I pray now as we look at this last passage that you would bless us as you have each time. Help our hearts to receive the message that we have here. And may we be encouraged by it. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Motherhood is often defined by hope and trust. This works from both perspectives of both mother and child. This is a sure hope that we have for each other, the bond between mother and child, but this world isn't like this always. Sometimes mothers lose hope and children lose trust. Nothing serves as a greater example to to this than our recent court decision or or potential court decision of Roe v. Wade. We've seen a lot of debate online and in the news about what this means, and it's a horrific example of when this trust and hope goes wrong. Sometimes these breaches of trust and hope are lost unwillingly and tragically. Or perhaps they are never formed at all. But even in these losses, intentionally or not, there is still hope. It seems an almost insensitive thing to say in the face of some of the greatest griefs that human beings can experience. Or in the face of some of the deepest joys that they can experience that there is something more profound. That there is a greater joy or a greater hope that triumphs over sadness and grief. But that's what we have here. Rather, it's not something, but rather someone who is more glorious than any of our deepest hurts or greatest joys. It's not to belittle the experiences that we've had, but instead to, to use Mary's words, magnify the Lord. And that's what I hope that we can see here today. For us to be briefly reminded of where we are in this passage, because it has been two and a half years since we've been here. Luke is writing to this Theophilus, this man, and giving an orderly account of the teachings and life of Christ. We were first introduced to Mary's family, Zechariah and Elizabeth, her cousin. Zechariah has been told that he is in his old age and his wife's barrenness are going to have a child who's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah, whom we know as John the Baptist. Zechariah, despite being a priest of God and despite having been given an angelic visit in the temple, disbelieves these things. Also, despite years of testimony of the Lord doing exactly this all through the Old Testament. So because of that, he is rendered without the ability to speak and is not going to get to speak until... John the Baptist is born. He will also be deaf as well. The story then moves away from this extended family of Mary and then focuses in on her in verse 26 when we are introduced to this young woman from Nazareth, a small backwater town and a relatively unimportant person by all accounts of the way the culture would have perceived her in those days, And is told that she is blessed and has found favor with the Lord. And that she is going to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and the Savior of the world is going to be placed in her womb. 
Now she, unlike her cousin's husband, believes immediately what the angel has told her and instead submits to exactly what the Lord would have for her. And it says, I am the servant of the Lord in verse 38. Let it be to me according to your word. It's a wonderful example of faith. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. You'll see our two points in our passage. One is that God's promises are infinitely worthy of our belief, as we see manifested in our characters this morning. And also, secondly, that God's promises change the world and you profoundly. That's what we're going to see today. So here we begin in verse 39. Mary has just been told this marvelous news that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And, she, and, that, per, and that virgin is her. This prophecy hundreds of years in the making is finally coming to pass. And she's also been told that her cousin Elizabeth, who has been barren her whole life, is now six months into her own miraculous pregnancy, it would seem. So now she is off to go visit her cousin. She makes with haste within these days and heads off to the town of Judah. And we don't know exactly where in Judah this town is, but, if, but judging from where it is in Nazareth and heading into Judah, we're looking at a few days' journey, anywhere from 80 to 100 miles that Mary is about, about to travel. So it takes a couple of days. But then she gets here to verse 40, and she enters the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And this is where things begin to happen. This is where the Holy Spirit we first see in action. Now, the Holy Spirit has been mentioned a couple of different times here in the early part of chapter 1. The uh, Holy Spirit is going to be filling John even from the womb as part of the prophecy made to Zechariah. And that the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow Mary, but we're hearing all of these things that the Holy Spirit is going to do. But here he acts. I may borrow a passage, a phrase from Genesis, he has been hovering over this area and is ready to do something new. And that's what we see here in verse 41. Mary has greeted Elizabeth, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, this is John the Baptist, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is something that we would see in the Old Testament when people would be filled with the Spirit and they would have insight and would be able to prophesy to the people that are in front of them. But it's been a while since this has happened. In fact, the Lord has been silent for a few hundred years. So here at this moment, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and begins to cry out. Verse 42, she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. Interesting statement of the personhood of the, uh, the baby Jesus, or as one commentator had phrased it, the embryonic Jesus, who is just a few days here in Mary's womb. But clearly the New Testament sees this person as a person. And it is a blessing. And this is what she speaks over Mary, as she continues to go on about what this means. And in verse 43, she says, And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? There is some debate as to whether Elizabeth recognizes that using Lord in the sense of 
synonymous with God, or whether this is a term of respect and perhaps labeled just for the Messiah. I would come to think that since she is the Holy Spirit, since she has the Holy Spirit indwelling her in this moment, that she can see things quite accurately. And since this term Lord is used over and over in Luke to refer to the fact that Jesus is God using the same word, Greek word kurios that's used in the Greek Old Testament to refer to God, I think she understands what's happening here. Not from her own insight, but from the insight that the Spirit gives to her. That she understands that this is someone special. This is not just a political hope, but this is the hope of the world. This is Jesus, the Lord God. And she is struck, the proper sense of what happens when you're in the presence of something like that, with a tremendous sense of humility. Elizabeth is surprised that she gets this sort of front row seat into what the Lord is doing. And is at a tremendous honor to be in this presence. She continues in verse 44, it says, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Is able to understand the motives of a six-month-old child in the womb, again, from the Holy Spirit. And is showing then the fulfillment of what we have seen in early part of Luke chapter 1. The Holy Spirit filling John. Even from within the womb and is announcing to Mary these things which are coming to pass. Then in verse 45, as one commentator put it, this is the first beatitude of the Gospel of Luke. It says, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from, from the Lord. Commentators point out that notice that this is, that it's not in the second person, which would sound like, and blessed are you. For the belief. But instead, this is in the third person. Blessed is she. A lot the same way that we would hear Jesus later preach, Blessed is the one who mourns. Blessed are the ones who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Here, this is being applied of blessed is she. Now, why is this person blessed? Why is she applying this beatitude to Mary? Is it because there is something about Mary? Is there something special about this person? Well, I think we would have to say inherently, no. This is a servant of the Almighty. What makes her special is whom she is carrying, of Christ. But the notice that she, why also she is blessed is that she has believed We do, I think, rightly rejoice in the way that the Lord has used. Mary, just the way that he has used a lot of other saints in the Old Testament to do extraordinary things. The faith of Hannah that we see in 1 Samuel. The faith of Abraham, who believed for a child to to be born of Sarai when they were 100 years old. And here is another line of faithful people who were blessed because they believed. The word blessed that's used here is different from the words blessed that we saw earlier on. This blessed is the same word that's being used with Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed, happy, highly favored is the person who believes. And I think here is where we can find the first bit of application to ourselves. None of us are going to have the privilege of carrying to term the Savior of the world. 
But that doesn't mean that blessing is escaping us. Nor is it that the only way to have blessing is to have children or to have anything in particular in our lives. What causes Elizabeth to see Mary as blessed is the fact that she believes what the Lord has said. And we have access to that same blessing as well. Blessed is she and blessed is he who believes what was spoken from the Lord. And this doesn't mean that because we believe that God is going, that God is going to fulfill his word, that this necessarily means that good things are only going to happen to us. In fact, often it is belief in those times when things are not going that way is where we actually find the real blessing of faith and trust in God. It's despite the circumstances that surround us is where faith truly sees its blessedness, where we really see the preciousness of God's promises to us is in those difficult times. We're blessed because of what we have here. We'll actually see this confirmed later on. In fact, in Luke chapter 11, in verse 27, someone calls out to Jesus as he's speaking. says, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed, putting blessing on this particular person. But Jesus says something interesting. But Jesus said in verse 28, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. The blessing doesn't come from an extraordinary work of God. Blessing doesn't come from being well-known. Blessing comes from those who read the word of God and obey it. That's a wonderful blessing we all can access. And that's the point of this passage. It's not to lift up Mary. It's not to exalt her or put her in a position where we would worship or venerate her. Indeed, when she spends the rest of her praise, is all about what the Lord has done. But we can look to her as an example of faith, as, of, as a sign that points onward to her Lord and Savior. The one who has done great things for her. And the one who can do great things for you. This is what we find in belief. It's what the Lord will do through us. I remember there was a song a while back that came out and was made famous of the movie The Prince of Egypt. It says that you will see miracles when you believe and it's only and it's amazing what you can achieve. That's not the point of this song. That's not the point of what we see here in Scripture. It's not what you will be able to achieve or miracles that will fall into your lap if you'll just trust God. But it's trusting God with whatever happens in your life whether it's things that you would like to see or not. Mary is actually quite thrilled here at this moment, but there are going to be hard times that are coming for her. She has to go back to Nazareth, pregnant and not married. Later on, we'll hear, 30 years after the fact, the Pharisees looking to Jesus and chiding at him that he's illegitimate. 
which means that there has been some sort of reputation that he has had to endure and Mary has had to endure. Life was not all fun for Mary. Indeed, later on, she would have to go see her son be crucified. One day she would lose her son. Belief is difficult, but there is great blessing because she also got to see her son rise from the dead and ascend into heaven. It's the full picture of what the Lord is doing. That's what we see here in this first point. I just want to remind us we're looking at that God's promises are infinitely worthy of our belief. And here Mary goes on in her response to what Elizabeth has just said and pulls these things out. It says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. That word magnifies is what gives it the title that we see. Now Mary's Magnificat. In the Latin version of this, that's how the word magnifies is translated, Magnificat. So this is what she's doing. She's magnifying the Lord. Now when we think magnify, sometimes we can think, there are two ways we can think of magnifying, as John Piper had pulled out. Is we can think of magnifying as like looking at a magnifying glass, something that, is, that, is, that we use to, make, to look at something that is small and be able to make it big so that we can see it. That's not what we mean by magnify here. Magnify that we're looking at is the way that we would look at a telescope, is to help us see something massive that's far away. When we look at Saturn, if we were to try to find that in the night sky, we wouldn't be able to see it. Perhaps on a really clear night, we might be able to see a tiny speck of light in the sky, but nothing more. And we might think that what we're dealing with is something actually quite small. But if we were to pull out a sufficiently large telescope, we'd be able to look into it and see that it is mind-blowingly large. And that's what we're seeing here. Mary is putting a telescope up to our eyes so we can look back into the distance of the past and see what the Lord has done and how he continues to work today. And this is what she's going to unfold for us here as we look at our second point, that God's promises change the world. And they change you profoundly. And that's how she's going to react here. Verse 46, again, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Here she is using poetry, Hebrew poetry. Here when you have the first line that makes a statement and then the next line that enhances that statement, pulls out another facet of what has already been said. This is how Hebrew poetry works. It's talking about her soul, the center of her being, is glorifying God and her spirit rejoices. It's not two separate things, but it's two ways of saying the same thing. She's rejoicing in God, her Savior. How has he worked in her in particular? Verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Indeed, we're here today saying this, is, this person has been the object of God's tremendous favor. To be given the opportunity to carry the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. Just as he promised, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, the seed of the woman is finally here. He has looked on someone who is of humble estate. Mary, Mary did not occupy palaces. She didn't have a crown on her head. It's a poor, likely teenager from Nazareth. But that's what the Lord tends to do. 
to exalt the humble. And that's what we'll see as we continue. In verse 49, again, emphasizing the Lord God, it says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy or separate, special, exalted is his name. In verse 50, For his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation extolling who God is. God has done these things because that's the kind of person that he is. God is not acting in aberration. It's not like God has been in a bad mood the last several centuries and is now deciding to turn around and do something nice for his people. That's not the case. The Lord has been gracious and merciful throughout all of his tenure with Israel. He has not either been weak, but he's been mighty all through his workings in his people's lives. And then he continues here in verse 51 and following of the things that he has done for the nation. Now, there's some debate as to whether or not this is supposed to be exclusively looking back to what God has done, because these are in the past tense of saying, well, these are the works that he has done for Israel throughout all time. Or are these in the past tense, but this is meant to be a prophetic of what he is going to do in the future. Sometimes we'll hear of the, of the biblical writers talking about things in the future, but talk about them in the past tense as if they've already happened, called the, uh, called the um, prophetic past, meaning that it is so sure this is going to happen, we're going to talk about this as if it's already done. And there is some debate as to what direction this is going. And I don't know which direction this is, but I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, The Lord has done wonderful things for Israel and is going to do so more because that's who he is, as we can readily see in his sending of a Savior. And that's what he's doing here, verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has gathered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel. There are so many occasions that we could look back into the Old Testament and see how he's done this. We could think of the start of their history back in Egypt when they were delivered from this mighty kingdom, a pharaoh who thought himself to be above God, who had a whole country to show for it. The height of ancient technology, some of which we are still grappling with how they were able to do and saw himself as mighty and powerful and being able to hold on to at least these group of Hebrew slaves with hardly any country or history, at least as far as he's concerned. But what did the Lord do? He brought down Pharaoh. He brought down the mighty in their thoughts and threw them down from his throne and instead exalted up the Israelite people from their humble estate, a place of slavery. Though he's also done this in the life of Israel as well. When the evil kings became proud and lifted up and thinking that they were above God as well, that they were cast down from their thrones, that their rich were pulled away from their resources and sent away empty. This is who the Lord is. He is not a respecter of persons and doesn't let anybody 
get away with sin. But yet he's still been merciful. He's filled the hungry with good things. You could think of that in the, in the wilderness when they had distrusted the Lord and were sent to wander around for 40 years in the wilderness. The Lord provided for them bread and filled them with good things. Even in captivity, the Lord had provided for them and blessed them. All throughout history, we have seen this as he has helped his servant Israel. And of course, we could, a number of examples could come as to how he's going to continue to do this in Luke. As we've seen already, the proud that he has thrown down. We think of those that, like Pilate and Herod and the Pharisees, the chief priests and the scribes who didn't believe in Christ, who saw him as beneath them. Who's reigning now? It's Jesus. Or when he would go to the humble and exalt those, who did he spend so much of his time with? People like Zacchaeus, that wee little man, that no one would even give a spot in the crowd to see Jesus go by and had to climb up a tree. Jesus came and had supper with him. To the prostitutes, to the sinners, to the soldiers, to the Gentiles. This is whom the Lord went to. Jesus carrying on, just like his father, because he's God himself, continuing in this wonderful storied history of provision for his people. This is our God. And it's founded here in verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Grounded in the covenant, the promise that God has made to his people. This is something that the Lord has been faithful to for all of these generations after generations and will continue to be so. And founded, of course, as we, as we have seen over the book of Luke, to provide for us an eternal hope. You know, humanity has been trying to unseat the hope of God for its entire existence. There have been countries that have been, that, that tried to get rid of Israel for the entirety of the Old Testament. And yet somehow the Lord just kept providing for them and just kept them there. There is multiple attempts to try to get rid of Jesus before he was born. The line of David. So many times through the Old Testament you'll see there is just one son left. And they are pursuing to kill this person and then somehow this king survives. Time and time again. Or even into the early parts of the Gospels when Jesus is born. And Herod tries to kill Jesus and tries to do so very thoroughly. Try to kill the entire town of two-year-olds. But somehow Jesus is preserved. There has been no scheme of man that has ever been able to break Jesus' promise. Ever. Nor will there be. And blessed are you if you believe that. Not only blessed because this is a sense of trust and well-being. But blessed are you because the Lord has granted faith to you. That's a beautiful thing to have. So today, as we think about how we can apply this, is this your song? 
Does your soul magnify the Lord? Do you spend time remembering how the Lord has been faithful to our people? And I use that phrase advisedly, our people. This is our history. We are, as Galatians says, children of Abraham with that same promise that the Lord would be faithful to him. We are the blessing. We, are the, we, we get to be the inheritors of that blessing. Do you believe that? Where does your soul find the most comfort? Even as we remember today, which is for many people, including my own mother, this is a difficult day. But where is the, your chief hope? Is it in being able to have good relationships? Is your hope in being able to have these things that you've desperately wanted? Or is your hope in Christ? Because this is where that hope is. This is where we can find our ultimate rest for our soul, no matter who you are or where you've been or what's happened in your life. Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ has risen. And Christ is coming again. We see a wonderful expression of this faith from Mary. Do you have that same faith? If you don't, would you like it? Because you can have it. You can have this same faith. Because the faith didn't come from Mary. It wasn't because Mary was, was extraordinarily special and had some sort of connection to God that you don't. You have access to this same Savior. Mary needed a Savior. You need a Savior. And all you have to do is ask. Come to him in faith. Surrender your life to him as Lord and follow after him. And these same blessings can be yours. And then go from here. Take this to others. Even if you were never able to have physical children, take this and have spiritual children. Disciple other people. Honestly, that's the point of having physical children. So that you can raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. If you can do that with, if you can do that with other people, then congratulations. That's the point. Is to have other people know this Savior. To introduce people to this hope. And it's a hope that's undying. No matter what's happening in this country. No matter what the courts decide in the coming months. No matter how the elections go. No matter how high gas prices or inflation or any other number of things that we could be concerned about happen, this hope is still there. The Lord is strong. The Lord is mighty. The Lord is undefeated and always will be. And shows mercy to generation after generation of those who fear him, those who respect and reverence him. If that's not something that's a part of your life today, then I would love to talk to you and show you how you can have a relationship with God, how you can have this same hope. Does it mean that life will always be easy after this or that this means or that this is a cure for all tears? No, that's not the case. There will still be sadness, but it won't be sadness without hope. It will be 
a chance for us to look forward with optimism to where the world is going. So no matter how bad things get, the Lord has still promised us salvation. And as we'll see in the coming weeks, uh, when we look at our study in the Revelation in Sunday school in the coming weeks, we'll get to see that the Lord has promised wonderful things for the creation as well. The Lord's not done yet. He's going to come back because he promised. And blessed are you if you believe. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for this wonderful affirmation of truth, this wonderful demonstration of what faith looks like, a faith that hears and goes and believes and behaves as if what we confess is true. Lord, I pray that would be the case for all of us here. And as we go our separate ways today, that we would be reminded of this wonderful truth, that we would be blessed because we believe in what you have promised us. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.